Well, there's so much that uh, some people could say about technology. I'm smart enough to know a few things about technology. Uh, one is that it's always changing. Two, that it can be very expensive. And three, that it's really uh, can be so beneficial when it's used wisely and it works and all of those things. Uh, and so we want to use technology to the very most benefit we can here at Wallula Christian Church, and, and uh, we're switching apps, which I know is kind of a pain in the neck and a little bit of a hassle and, and kind of annoying, but it really is easy to find. Just in the time that that video played, I, I deleted the uh, Church Center app from my iPad and found it and loaded it, and uh, I'm all set to go, and so if I can do it, I know that you can do it, and uh, we'd sure appreciate you. Uh, doing that sometime uh, this week. There's a little flyer uh, on the chair around you. You can take that home just so you remember what to search in the app store and all of those things. Uh, do uh, go in and cancel out if you have a recurring gift that's set up online or, or with the current app. Go in and cancel that because the companies change that process uh, that giving, and so it'll help us out a great deal. This all goes with our new church management software, our church management software that we've had for the last 15 years that I've been here is antiquated. It won't cross platforms. We only have access to it on one machine in the office. The people we need to have the information can't get the information. And so we're changing church management software, which is going to help with our kids check-in. It's going to help with our small group management and all sorts of different areas. You're going to see some of the benefits of that uh, going forward. And this app is included with that. And so in addition to the great church management software change, we can just be better stewards. It's less expensive for all of that, including this church center app than what we're paying for the current church app for that build out and all of that stuff. And so uh, do us a favor, go to the app store, find church center, follow the prompts. It's really easy. You can do it. Uh, have you ever uh, felt uninvited to something? You know, sometimes it doesn't even matter what the event is. It can be an event that you're not very interested in, that you don't think you would have especially a, a good time at. You, you would otherwise not want to attend the event or the party or the, the gathering, whatever it is, except that uh, somebody you knew was invited and you weren't and you felt uninvited from the party. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was, uh, we were on our way to watch my daughter play in a high school basketball game, and, and my wife Sherry said, hey, the girls are going to this birthday party for one of their friends after the basketball games. So they're waiting until after the boys' game because this, this guy's on the basketball team, and so they're going to have a surprise party at Lacey's friend's house for uh, this, this young man for his birthday. And, and I said, okay, and, and we kept driving. We got to the game and watched the games, and then we were leaving, and I said, hey, what are you guys doing after the game? Because I sort of forgot, you know, the plans that I was told. And I said, hey, what are you doing? And they said, oh, we're going to the, this surprise party. And, and I turned to Sherry. I said, Sherry, what are you doing? And she said, well, I'm going to this surprise party. And I said, why are you going to this party? And she said, because I was invited. Now, you have to understand, I don't know this young man very well. I, I didn't feel like I should be at this surprise birthday party. I didn't really want to go. I was ready to go home. I, maybe there was a ball game on. I don't remember all that. I, had, I was ready to do something else. I didn't have nothing inside of me said, Lance, you need to go to this 16-year-old surprise birthday party. 
right? I, I didn't have any desire to do that until I found out, well, I mean, these people were invited and I wasn't, right? And there's just this moment where you kind of go, oh, well, they didn't want to invite me. I see. You know, I get that. And I felt uninvited. It was silly. It was ridiculous, but I felt uninvited. And maybe, maybe you've never felt that way. I know, I know some of you out there are, are way cooler than me. You've never experienced that, but, but most of us probably have. And I wonder if some of us, or maybe many of us, have even felt uninvited, you know, with spiritual things. Maybe it was a bad church experience. Maybe it was just a difficult time, a difficult season in life, and, and we're facing some struggles that we don't understand and aren't sure why we are. And, and maybe it's a relationship kind of thing. Maybe it was just sort of a, a dry spiritual season where we felt uninvited from God's family. Well, we want to do everything we can as followers of Jesus as people who have experienced God's love in some way, to make sure that everyone uh, understands that they are absolutely invited uh, to God's party, to be a part of his family, to be a part of his team. And we can help others know through the power of invitation how, how absolutely invited they are to be a part of God's team. Uh, a story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 14, we're going to begin in verse 12 and, and work our way through verse 24, teaches us three truths that we need to understand in order to help everyone feel invited to be a part of, of, of God's team. We don't want anyone to feel uninvited to, to believe, to, to think that they are uninvited from being a part of God's family. Jesus tells this story in Luke chapter 14. I'm going to begin reading in verse 12. We're going to think about three truths that are taught uh, through this story and the setup of this story in Luke chapter 14, <clears throat> beginning in verse 12. This is what God's Word says. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But, he said to him, a, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many, and at the time uh, for the banquet he sent a servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I've bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five a yoke of oxen, and I, I, I need to go and examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you've commanded has been done, and still there is room." And the master said to the servant, go out to the highway and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste 
my banquet. All right, an interesting situation. We often find Jesus at parties, and, and that's where we find Jesus in, in this circumstance. He's, he's at a party, he's an invited guest, and he's hanging out at this really pretty exclusive party, we read in, in verse 12. Uh, he, he also said to the man who invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay pay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. You know, Jesus is, is almost always a really great party guest. You know, we find Jesus at these parties all the time, and he's almost always a great guest. Uh, you, you think about the different occasions when maybe we've met uh, Jesus at a party. If you're, if you're at a party and you don't have a menu planned, you find yourself unprepared, if you can just find one kid with a few fish and a couple loaves of bread. Jesus will plan the menu for you. Bingo, you know, this huge buffet and leftovers that fill 12 baskets. Jesus is a great party guest. Uh, if you're at a house and the party gets a little out of hand and maybe there's even a hole in the roof and you start watching stuff cave in from the hole and, and suddenly there's this guy who can't walk lowered through the ceiling in your house and Jesus will look at the dust, he'll see the mess and He'll heal the guy, you know, he'll forgive his sins, and the guy will walk out of your home. That is the best, you know, party miracle trick you could see, right? Jesus is a great party guest. If you happen to be at a wedding, and the wedding runs out of wine, if you can find a few barrels of water, Jesus will turn those barrels of water into the very best wine that that party has seen for days. Jesus is usually a tremendous party guest, except on this occasion. Because essentially what Jesus says, you know, he's sitting at this party. It's a pretty exclusive party. You know, there are a lot of important people from the community there. The host has gone to, to great lengths to prepare this great banquet. And Jesus looks around and he says, this party stinks. You've invited all the wrong people. The, the people you should have invited, you haven't invited, this party isn't the kind of party that I would throw. He said you should have invited the, 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 the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind, and then you would have been repaid at the resurrection of the just. And there was so much tension in the room. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to a party when everybody knows that the party kind of stinks, but nobody says this party is terrible. You know, everybody just sits around having a terrible time. If somebody actually says, man, this is awful, you feel bad for the host, there's tension in the room, and I think just to cut the tension, right, just to kind of alleviate, just to bridge the gap from, okay, Jesus, I know you're, you're telling us this very important spiritual truth, but pass the brisket, you know, just to cut the tension, we get verse 15, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who eat bread in the kingdom of God. In other words, he said, yeah, heaven's going to be great. They knew that, that Jesus was sort of talking about this messianic party, this messianic banquet that, that Jews thought was, was coming someday. And they knew that was paradise and that was heaven. And, and Jesus said, man, you, you ought to be looking forward to this party. 
And so somebody said, absolutely, we're all going to have a great time at that party. And then you get, you get to uh, our, our first truth, that we have to, we have to continue to receive our own invitation. Because in the midst of that tension, this guy who said, heaven's going to be great, trying to cut that tension, let's move on in the party, Jesus dives into this story. And he begins that story by saying, but. It had to be one of the heaviest words that they'd ever heard. Because he's, he's going to tell this story essentially saying, some of you won't be at the party that really matters. You're not going to be, you're not going to accept your invitation. You won't show up at the party that matters. Verse 16 says, but he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent a servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everyone is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and, and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Uh, please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. And so he invites all the right people to this party. All the right people show up or he wants to show up and he sends these invitations. And what would have happened uh, as Jesus tells this story that, that all these folks at the party that he was actually at would have recognized is that there was an initial invitation. There was kind of this save the date that would be sent out. And people would say, okay, we're invited to this party and it's going to be on, on Tuesday at 7 o'clock. And then as Tuesday got closer and closer and party preparations were made, when the party was ready on Tuesday, a second invitation would have been sent out, which would have said, the party's ready, come on over. We're, we're ready to host you. And it was at the second invitation that this guy starts to receive these excuses. You know, I, I've got this business that I need to, to really chase after, this business opportunity. And so I bought this field, I've got to go take a look at it. Another said, I bought five uh, yoke of oxen, and I've got, to, I've got to go check and make sure I made a good deal on these five yoke of oxen. I've got a lot to do with these five yoke of oxen. Another said, well, I, just, I was just married, and so you have to excuse me. My wife said I couldn't come. Right, And so maybe one of those excuses is more valid than the other. Some Bible scholars point back to the book of Deuteronomy. And there's a section in Deuteronomy that talks about reasons that a, a male, a, a young man who was available for military service might be excluded from military service. And some of those things happened around, you know, maybe they were married. They were just married. And so they were excluded from a military service at that time. Or even certain business obligations would exclude somebody from military service at that time. And some Bible scholars say, well, that's what Jesus is chasing, except it's almost the reverse. See, those, those rules existed in Deuteronomy because if somebody was just married, you, you didn't necessarily want that young husband to have his life risked in battle, right? They wanted to protect that family. And so that rule exists because it's life and death. But here we're talking about this party, this this party in heaven, this messianic invitation, that when you ignore the invitation, that's really the life and death risk. See, none of these excuses pass muster, and yet they're excuses that we make all the time. You know, well, I, I have this business obligation, I have to work, I can't be a part of this, and, and sometimes that's, that's valid, and sometimes, you know, we're just uh, misprioritizing what really needs to happen. 
Uh, we say, well, the five yoke of oxen, it was another business opportunity. But you have to understand that when Jesus said this guy went to buy five yoke of oxen, he was, he was demonstrating that this farmer had so much land, that he had so much work to do, that it required five yoke of oxen. I mean, at, at the outside, like a, a well-to-do kind of middle class, if that existed in the first century, a farmer would have like a, a, an acre of land. There would be no need for five oxen to work that land. And so a farmer who's buying five yoke of oxen, he's got a tremendous amount of stuff to do. He is a busy, busy guy. And he's saying out loud, I'm too busy for this party. You know, when we think about our our own relationship with Jesus and our, our own, maybe something as simple as attending and showing up and worshiping together, Man, how, how hard is it to, to make sure that we're not too busy for that in our lives? A couple months ago, uh, somebody from church came up at an event and they said, Hey Lance, I know your kids have played sports and, and sports are getting crazier and crazier and there are all these obligations on Sundays and, and how did you manage that? I said, man, it's just really hard, and I'm not sure we did it right, and I'm not sure you just follow our advice or anything, but it's, it's so hard. I mean, we searched and we searched and we searched for teams that were sort of had this balance where they weren't saying, hey, we're playing every single weekend, in our case, in the summer for those sports. We, we didn't do, you know, two club sports and uh, because it was just too much you know you have to prioritize and say this is important and and you try to navigate those things the best you can man it's so hard in our world where we kind of wear busyness as a badge of honor to make sure that we have margin in our lives for relationships that really matter including the most important relationship with him you know, we, we sometimes see even it boil down to, to family obligations. This guy who said, my wife, you know, I just married my wife. You have to excuse me. I, I don't have time for that right now. You know, maybe she really did say, I don't want you going to this party. I don't know what happened. I, I think about this family I knew in Yuma. And the mom in this family was a, a, a follower of Jesus and dad wasn't yet. And, and uh, this, this lady got to a point where she said, I, I think I need to give to the church. And my husband said, we're not going to do that. And, and so she said, what should we do? And, and they started to, to look for compromise. She said, okay, I started this new endeavor, this new kind of side gig, right? This new side job. And, and what if I just take a portion of that extra income and give to the church? And the husband said, okay, we'll do that. And then after a while, she said, okay, well, I'd like to give this portion of, of the, the, the money that I bring in from my real job to the church as well. What do you think about that? And he said, okay, you know, we'll do that. And as he saw this work in their finances, he started to become more available to that. Uh, it's difficult sometimes to navigate even family relationships and make sure we're placing our relationship with Jesus as the very most important relationship in our life. But these folks brought these excuses to, the, to, to their attendance at the party and there just wasn't an excuse that would fly. You know, we talked a few weeks ago about the need for us to continue to receive grace, and sometimes that's really hard. And, and just last week, we talked about the fact that, you know, we talked about the different kinds of soil and that we want to be good soil and we want to prepare the soft landing place for God's word in our life. And we need to continue to accept our invitation. We have to make sure that we're not allowing any distractions to keep us from accepting that invitation to a relationship with Jesus. 
You know, uh, the economics of life aren't more important. The busyness of, of just being at the event or, or the fear of missing out isn't more important. Even, even our family relationships aren't more important than our relationship with Jesus. We have to figure out how we can navigate those things and, and uh, be able to place in, in proper order all of those important relationships. We need to continue to receive our own invitation. Truth number two is that that invitation is for everyone after all. You get past those excuses and we get to verse uh, 21 uh, where Jesus says, so the servant came and reported those things to his master that they, uh, the folks that he had invited, including these three that had offered exclusives and, and surely a whole bunch more that had offered exclusives that Jesus didn't talk about. He said, so the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Uh, a little later in verse 23, he says, go outside the city to the country, to the to the hedges and the, and the highways and, and bring in people to this party. When you read this list, it's a list that stands out to uh, folks that w- they would, uh, wouldn't normally probably have made the invitation list. You know, unfortunately, in, in the first century, when, when folks thought about somebody with, uh, you know, some kind of disability or, or some kind of hardship in that way, uh, they're described as poor and crippled and blind and lame. Uh, people figured, they thought, that these folks must not be favored by God, and if they're not favored by God, they incorrectly thought that way, then we shouldn't favor them. You know, if they're not important to God, then they shouldn't be important to us. And so this list of folks would, would, wouldn't have made the invitation list. When he talks about the, the hedges and the highways outside of the city, Jesus' Jewish audience would have heard that as people outside of the gate, people outside of the city. So Gentiles, people not of our faith background and our, our ethnic background. And so uh, we shouldn't favor them. And so it's a list of invitees that would have never made the list. You think, man, that that is so strange and odd and it doesn't sit well with us that there are these lists that that keep people in and that keep people out and and all of these divisions that exist. And they exist all through Scripture. You go back to the Old Testament and you get the Hittites and the Amorites and the Philistines and all these people keeping lists as to who's in and who's out, who's included and who's excluded. You get to the New Testament and you have Jews and Gentiles, Pharisees and Sadducees, Essenes and Zealots and this long list of people who some say are included in the family and some say are excluded in the family and we say that ought not be. And yet even today, we're all creating lists, aren't we? Maybe we make it by, by class or race or, or religion or, or, or perhaps sexuality or, or you know, just background in the community and, and we draw these lines. When I started serving as a youth pastor at a church in, in Johnson County, we eventually bought a home, and it was just across the river in Wyandotte County, and we didn't have a building that this church met in at the time, and so I, I said, well, we're going to move youth group, I think, from, from the office just to our house, and so we're going to have youth group at our house for a while until the building's put up, and, and I had this mom come to me and say, now, where is this house? And I said, well, it's just, it's, it was literally three minutes from the church. It just happened to be across the river. And she said, it's in Wyandotte County. I said, yeah. She said, 
is it safe? I said, well, I think so. You know, I think it'll be okay. But we just, we draw these lines. You know, and we all have them. You know, and we, we create these lists of who's in and who's out. You know, how'd it get that way? I'm reading a great book. It it's kind of has an unusual title. It's just called Flesh. It's a book about the incarnation. And the author, in the first uh, couple of chapters, he looks back at the creation story. And sometimes we read the creation story in Genesis, and we just read it kind of technically. And, and we even teach Sunday school sometimes, and we want people to memorize what was created on the first day and the second day and all of that sort of thing. And we talk about, well, is it science or is it not science? And we have these debates. And, and sometimes we lose the fact that on each one of these days, there, there's this amazing love of God that's displayed because he he looks at his creation and he says oh man it's good and it's good and especially by the time he gets to day six and he says okay now we're going to create people and they're going to be just like us uh, but human you know they'll have skin on and, and, and they're going to live and we're going to provide for them perfectly in this garden and he creates people and he looks at his creation on day six and he says this is very good this is so good. I'm so excited. And God loves his creation. And he so loved the way it was, the perfection of it all. They were perfectly provided for. They had perfect mission. They had perfect relationships with each other and with him. And then something happened. Because part of what made it perfect was that his creation had the choice as to whether or not to keep it that way. And there was one tree in the garden. And God said, you have all this other vegetation. We took great care, he said, to, to make it all different sizes and colors and tastes and textures. It's everything you could want. And there's this one tree. Don't eat from that tree. And along came somebody to whisper in Adam and Eve's ear, he doesn't mean that. He just wants to keep something from you. And when they, just like we, turn and run in our own direction, make our own selfish choices, sin entered the world. And it messed everything up. It messed everything up. This perfect, holy, just God can have nothing to do with sin. And now we see the result of sin all the time. That illness that you battled. The loss of the loved one you had last year. You know, just that, that relationship that you're not sure why you can't fix it. It's because sin broke it. Now those things aren't due to a particular sin at a particular time, but it's because sin exists. And God's perfect creation is twisted and distorted. It's a terrible story, if not for the fact that God knew it. And he planned from before creation to have a way to redeem it all, to buy it back, to restore it to how it was. And so he planned to, to enter the world as a baby, to put skin on himself, that Jesus would live and he would minister and he would teach and he would preach and he would heal and ultimately he would die on a cross and be buried in a tomb to pay a price that we all owe. 
as sinless, perfect sacrifice on our behalf. And all through Scripture, Scripture's really that big story with all these little stories kind of interspersed and you kind of see hints of how God, uh, he wants this story, he wants this invitation for everybody. Even in the Old Testament when there are all these different Philistines and Amorites and all these different divisions and lists, there, there was this guy, you remember Jonah? Jonah was a prophet. God said, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to tell them about me and ask them to change direction and follow me. And Jonah literally said to God, you're out of your head. That's not what you mean. The Ninevites are rotten people. Check the list. They're not on it. You don't want me to go there. And Jonah turned around and he ran in the other direction. It took some seriously serious convincing from God to have Jonah end up in Nineveh, sharing his story, offering that invitation. Jesus shows up and he, he touches lepers, people that no one else would come close to, and heals them. He talks to women in the middle of the day, something that no other man in his time would have taken care to do. He heals the lame and allows them to walk. He, he calls these fishermen and farmers and tax collectors and zealots. He says, you're all invited. That's the list we get in, in, in Luke chapter 14, verse 21. The lame and the poor and the blind... The, the Gentiles outside the city, invite them all. Everyone's included. Throw away your lists. Because you're all invited to be a part of my family. And God loves us enough to invite even a guy like me, who makes more dumb choices than anybody else, to be a part of his family. And he loves us so much that he chooses not to leave us in the broken state that he finds us. He chooses to grow us and change us and make us more like him. The invitation is absolutely for everyone. God has this plan to redeem and to buy back uh, his creation that we've broken to restore to perfection. And as followers of Jesus, truth number three is that we have a responsibility to extend that invitation. We've got a responsibility to, to put away the lists and to extend that invitation to everyone. Look at verse 22. And the servant said, Sir, what you've commanded, we went and found the poor and the crippled, the blind and the lame, what you've commanded has been done and still there is room. There's still room in God's family on his team. There's no roster limit. There, there's, no, there's no salary cap. There, there's nothing that keeps us from, from being a part of, of his family. We all have that invitation and we can accept that place. It, it's hard for us to extend that invitation because we, we're list makers to the end. You know, if you're, if you're a little introverted like me, then especially you've experienced this. You've gone to a party and you huddle up with somebody you know at the party, right? And, and we, we look for that comfort. And, and if we drew this party just as a circle and X's, then, then we would tend to be inside of that circle, 
right? And we're trying to find a way to break out of that circle, to destroy that list, to reach those X's, to go and and to, to seek and to share the story of Jesus with others. It's hard to do. There are some startling statistics when you, when you think about this. Some, some people say that if you've been a Christian for seven years, if you've been involved in church life for seven years, then you don't have any non-Christian friends. But you can't find anybody outside of that circle, see? I just say that's nonsense. I do think something happens. I do think whether we tend to circle up and we tend to sort of keep our world separate. And so uh, think about it with me and see if this isn't just a little bit true in your life. Where you have, you know, your work friends, and you have maybe your softball friends, and you have, you know, your neighborhood friends, and you have your church friends, and those worlds tend to never sort of intersect. They never collide. You know, sometimes we sort of keep these relationships sort of separate, and what we, what we have to have happen is we have to have our worlds kind of collide once in a while. You know, we, we have such a great thing going here at Wallula with our small groups, but maybe what our small groups need to do, maybe once a month, our small groups need to like rotate houses and just have a barbecue at the house where we allow, you know, the host of, the, of that barbecue that night to kind of invite their friends so the worlds sort of collide once in a while. We need to figure out whatever it is, however it is, to get these worlds to kind of to intersect, to meet. Because the story as followers of Jesus that we know and that we hold dear and that we believe has made a difference in our life right now for all of eternity, man, if that's true, those worlds have to collide. We have to, we have to be willing to share that story. It's not easy. It's hard. In fact, Jesus says, uh, the master said to the servant in verse 23, go out to the highway and the hedges and compel people to come in that the house may be filled. Work hard at building relationships and leading with love and don't give up. There's other statistics that will tell you that, that people rarely accept any invitation on the first try. So whether it's to join a softball team or, or to come over for dinner at your house or to worship with you at church, people rarely say yes the first time. And if, uh, marketers have a rule that they call the rule of six, that it takes at least between five and seven times for somebody to maybe see a commercial, interact with a product, uh, read something online about it before they say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give in and I'm going to buy this product. It takes five to seven touches, five to seven interactions, five to seven invitations. And so if you believe that the story of Jesus has changed your life, and you, you know people that need to hear that story, that you would love for them to come face to face with Jesus. Because what happens when people come face to face with Jesus, by the way? That guy that couldn't walk, he got up. Right? Saul, who was hunting down Christians... Uh, chasing them, arresting them, maybe even executing them, changes direction and writes two-thirds of the New Testament. Amazing things happen when we meet Jesus. Uh, And so we we need to stick to it and invite our friends and neighbors and and be creative. That first invitation is so easy. It's so simple. It doesn't have to be weird. 
I, I was a youth pastor. The very first youth pastor job I had was in, in Topeka. It was in the summers, and, and I was taking some high school kids. We were playing on this, this church softball team, and we stopped at a quick shop to get, you know, Slurpees or whatever at the quick shop, and we're filling up our drinks, and we're putting lids on, and somebody comes in, and they said, uh, do you know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? And the, the kids I was with, their eyes got big, and they looked at me, and then they looked at this guy that they didn't know. And, and I said, well, yeah, we do. And we kept putting our straws in or whatever, and, and uh, he, that answer evidently wasn't good enough for him because he kept the conversation going. He said, well, if you died tonight, do you know what would happen? And the more he talked, the bigger these kids' eyes got. You know, he was literally preaching to the choir, and he was weirding out the choir. Right? And so uh, don't, we don't have to be weird. Right? That's why we're building the relationship and living, uh, leading with love. And we build that relationship just because we love. And because we love them enough, we're eventually going to extend the invitation. And just, hey, I'm going to church on Sunday. Do you want to come with me? You know, when, when they say, well, maybe not this Sunday, you say, well, okay. And, and so don't text them seven times because it takes seven times in the next hour right? Let them breathe. But the next time it, the topic comes up, you know, maybe you say, man, my kids love Wallula. I bet your kids would love it too. Why don't you come this Sunday? You know, eventually, hopefully we'll be able to say in a few weeks, you know, we need to pray for the chiefs. Come to church, <laughs> right? Maybe that's the way. We're going to go out for brunch after church. I'd love for you to come worship with us and then we'll go to brunch. You know, I've gone through, I know you're having a rough time. And when I've been through similar circumstances, the relationships that mattered most and made the biggest difference, I made at church. Would you come and worship with me? Stick with it. Lead with love. And share that invitation we, we never know when it, when it will make the biggest difference, but it matters so much. My girls, uh, they, they decided, they have this group of friends, and they decided, hey, we're going uh, to have this gift exchange on Christmas. And so they did that. You know, people do that. And they had this gift exchange, and they thought, that was so much fun. We're going to do a gift exchange for Valentine's Day. All right? And so they, they had a secret Santa, and they, they called... The, instead of Secret Santa, it's Valentine's Day, so it was like uh, Secret Lovers. You want to see a father's head turn, <laughs> have his teenage daughter announce in the kitchen, I need to buy my lover a present. <laughs> what? Anyway, so they decide we're, we're having this party. And we're going to have this gift exchange on Valentine's Day. And so they buy the presents. And, and you, you know, I, I don't follow this closely, but it's not yet Valentine's Day, right? And they, they decided a week ago, we have to have this party and have this gift exchange because we're so excited. And it was snowing or whatever. And we, no, you're not leaving the house. We're not going to do that. And they were so, kids were gone this weekend for a church camp trip. And they got home last night. And they're like, we have to give this presents away tonight. We have to do this. Because they were so excited about the gift that they had that they wanted to share with people that they care about, their lover. <laughs> that they couldn't wait. They couldn't wait. 
fan, how, how cool is it that we know a God who loves us in such an extraordinary way that surely we, we can't wait to share that. Maybe it's fear of rejection. Jia Chang was this guy who had this really deep fear of rejection. It was sort of hindering his life. He had a difficult, difficult time going to class and to work, and he was just afraid all the time. And so he, he knew he had to conquer this fear of rejection, so he went to where we all seek wisdom. He Googled fear of rejection, how to overcome it. And so he had all these ideas, and, and some of the ideas said, well, what you have to do is you just have to put yourself in a place where you know you'll be rejected over and over again, kind of numb yourself to the rejection. So he decides, that's what I'm going to do. And he made a list of a hundred ways that he knew absolutely, I'll get rejected when I try these things. And so the first day, the first item was, ask a, ask a stranger for a hundred dollar bill. And so he went up to a stranger on the street and he said, hey, could I have a hundred dollar bill? And he was so afraid of the rejection that he turned before the guy, you know, kind of staring at him could answer and he ran away. He said, I've got to stick with it though. And so the next day he decided that the item was, he was going to ask for a hamburger refill. So, you know, he goes to the restaurant, sometimes you take your drink up and get a refill. He decided, I'm going to order this hamburger, and I'm going to eat it, and then I'm going to go up and I'm going to ask for a hamburger refill. And so he does, he orders his meal, he eats the hamburger, he goes back up, he said, hey, could I have a hamburger refill? And the guy working said, uh, I don't think we do that. Rejected. And he went home, and he knew the next day he'd have to try again. And so he went to the donut shop, and he goes into the donut shop, and he said, I want an Olympic donut. And so he asked them to, to make donuts and intersect the donuts, you know, five donuts, and then color them like the Olympic rings, an uh, Olympic donut. And so he expected to be rejected. But you know what happened? The donut shop made the donut. <laughs> they said Yes. And so the next day, he goes to his professor, and he asks his professor, can I teach class for a day? And you know what happened? The professor said, yes. <laughs> he went to his neighbor's house, the neighbor he's never met, and he knocked on the door, and he said, I want to plant a flower in your backyard. And the neighbor said, yes. He goes to a police officer the next day, and the police officer, he said, I want to sit in the front seat of your police car. Would that be okay? And the police officer said, Yes. Over and over, this guy who's trying to build up his resistance to rejection discovers that sometimes you just have to ask. There's power in invitation. And sometimes we'll be rejected, and sometimes we'll hear a yes. If, you've mar if you're married, you've experienced this power of invitation. Go ahead, if you're married, look at whoever you're married to, like you liked them. Go ahead, look at them. And you know that there was an invitation at some point that changed your life. Sometimes for the good, sometimes... Uh, <laughs> right? But changed your life. We have a story and we have an opportunity to invite and to change somebody's life. But just not for that dash between dates in this world. To change their life for all of eternity. Man, it's so worth sharing. Sometimes you just have to ask.